listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Tim Link, and I am so glad you're joining us today. We have a wonderful guest. My guest today is writer, photographer, and New York Times bestselling author, John Katz. And John's going to be here discussing his recently released book, Going Home, Finding Peace When Pets Die. So we'll talk to John a little bit about the book and get his thoughts and philosophies on everything uh, when our animals make their transition. So we're going to come right back with John. Everybody hold tight. We're going to be right back after these messages. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Buster. You're telling me my dog food products can't go on your shelves? That's right. Didn't pass one of my Petco certified nutrition checklists. Sorry, Wayne. Who made these checklists? Geniuses. Very smart guys. Well, it's good enough for most grocery stores. Do you see cheese puffs on my shelves? Mayonnaise? Soda pop? No. That's because I ain't running no grocery store, Wayne. Your pets will get better nutrition, I guarantee it. Petco, where the healthy pets go. Go to PetLifeRadio.com slash Petco and get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off hundreds of items at Petco. PetLifeRadio.com slash Petco. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright backings for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Back, go to PetLifeRadio.com forward slash Dyson. PetLifeRadio.com forward slash Dyson. To order your Dyson Animal Back today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Welcome to Sassy Seniors, a show about our fabulous older dogs and cats. I'm your host, Kelly Jackson. You know, I wanted to create a show to really showcase our senior pets. And you know, as a human population ages and lives longer, of course, so are our wonderful pets. But many of us with aging pets, it's so interesting. We have a tough time realizing or really admitting that they are seniors. So in a way, I kind of like to think of our senior pets as, as wise puppies. What do you think about that? Be sure to join us for another day of Sassy Seniors. And remember, celebrate your senior pets. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link. And joining me now is best-selling author John Katz. John, welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, our pleasure. It's always great to talk to you and definitely great to uh, pick up the latest, greatest uh, books that you have out there. And this one's a little bit different, so I want you to tell everybody a little bit about Going Home and uh, what the premise of the book's all about. Well, Going Home was inspired by a speech I gave to the North American Veterinary Conference in Orlando. And after the talk, a whole bunch of vets came up and said they were really struggling to deal with the very rise, intense rise in animal grieving, people grieving for pets. But it was getting a lot worse, and uh, people were having trouble with it, and they didn't really have too much to recommend to people that would be helpful, uh, because most of the books really out there really deal with the afterlife more than grieving now. So I started to research it. I thought there was a tremendous need for it. 
I could see how, how much people were struggling with, with the loss of their pets as pets had become more and more important to people in America. And, uh, and so I talked to a couple hundred people, a lot of vets and, and the psychologists, psychiatrists, and uh, also drew on my own experiences on the farm, having lost a number of different animals, and put that both together. The two real premises of the book are that it's okay to grieve for a pet. There's nothing wrong with it. You shouldn't feel bad about it or silly. Uh, and it's also okay to feel better, that there are a lot of tools that, and, and things people can do that will ease them through the process and help them deal with it. It's a tough situation, and you know, I, when I work with clients as well on this, on the whole grieving process, the process of when the animal is about to make their transition can be just as difficult as once they do make their transition and how to deal with it. Don't you find? Yes, I think even worse because uh, you know this is sometimes there are a lot of tough decisions to be made, and this is perhaps the only time in our lives where we're called upon to kill something that we love, and that's a very tough thing for people to do. There are all sorts of moral issues, emotional issues, a lot of guilt, or financial issues, a lot of ethical issues, and people really aren't prepared to deal with it. They don't have a lot of guidelines. They don't have a lot of discussions or, or, or reference points. When a human uh, goes through this, there are a lot of procedures to follow, a lot of rituals, funerals, religious leaders, clergymen, you know, lawyers, doctors. When we have to decide what to do with an animal, we're all alone with it. We don't really have any, any fixed points to follow. Most people haven't really even talked about it because they don't like to talk about it. And vets don't like to talk about it either. So it's a tough thing for people to, they find themselves alone with some very tough decisions. And I was hoping to make the point in the book that there are some things you can do to prepare yourself and feel easier to make the guilt less likely and make the pain last not quite as long and to feel better. Yeah, I think so. And I think there's a lot more avenues today, as you mentioned, than, than in years past. Grief support groups and uh, even methods of if you're going to be uh, euthanizing your animal, um, how you go about doing that. You know, it's not always going to the veterinarian office. There's a lot of different ways that it can be done. The veterinarians a lot of times will come to you and help you uh, with the transition of your animal at their own home. Yes, we'll do that. Um, there are people who have uh, funerals and memorial services. There are all kinds of rituals that are used in the human process of, of loss and grieving that are moving into the animal process. Uh, people are, I've been to a couple of memorial services. I was, one woman had a, had a uh, celebration when she lost her lab and invited all the other dogs, and they had a good time kind of showing pictures and remembering the happy moments. The thing about having an animal, as you know, if you love animals, you're going to lose some because they just don't live that long and they're fragile. So if you're going to have a life that has animals in it, you're going to go through this. In America, unfortunately, people don't like to talk about death. And animal people, when you get a puppy, the last thing in the world you want to do, or get a dog from a shelter, the last thing you want to do is think about uh, losing it. But it's important to do that uh, because there are new procedures. You know, Vets are very flexible now about how they do this procedure, where they do it, how many people are involved. And the idea of a, of a funeral or a marker in someone's house is getting increasingly popular. I find that the more rituals people engage in, the better they feel. I also found something very interesting, I thought. I found a tremendous amount of guilt involved in this process. People were just torn up. They told me they waited too long. They, they didn't wait long enough. They spent too much money. They spent too little money. Mm -hmm. um, and yet I found that when people told these stories, if you listen to them, invariably they were wrong. Uh, they hadn't done anything wrong. They had done nothing to feel bad about. People who love their animals make very loving and careful decisions in general. And yet they don't feel confident about their decisions because I think they really haven't had a chance to talk about it in advance. So I think one way of, of alleviating a lot of the, of the stress and guilt is to do some of the things you just mentioned, think about rituals and procedures, and also to think about 
how much money do you want to spend in in this point? Um, when do you think an animal should should leave the world? When are you comfortable making that choice um, and taking responsibility for it? I, I don't really feel comfortable with the idea that my dog is going to tell me when it's time to go. I think I have to do that. It's my job to know that. And I think that's where they really need us to be advocates for them. I think that's where we sometimes can love them the most. So I think that's very important. Yeah, helping them ease their transition and doing it in a very uh, loving way, I think, is very important. During your research of uh, your own experiences and talking to people, et cetera, uh, going to that premise of the animal letting us know, do you get a sense that people have that overall feeling when that time is right? When they Do they get a sense of, I've done everything I can, I feel though it's going to be a sad situation, I feel that I'm getting comfort that I've done everything I possibly can for my loved one? Well, I think it varies. I think uh, people who, there are some people who just don't want to let go. Uh, they love their animals very much and they just don't want to lose them. And vets will talk quite a bit about seeing animals suffer that way because they're kept alive, you know, well past the point that they can live comfortably. And that's a tough issue for, for vets as well as for people and certainly for animals. I do think people know in general, nobody knows an animal better than the, somebody who lives with them. And, and you can see if they're not eating, if they're uncomfortable, if they're not sleeping if they can't live the life of a dog or a cat, people generally know that. And the tough part is for them to accept it and to just say, okay, this is the best decision I can make. I'm just going to make it and I'm going to move on. People really cheer themselves up about it. Uh, first, because there's my dogs chiming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> first, because they love them so much. And secondly, because they're just not really sure of their decisions. You know, they, they don't really feel confident about their decisions. I think a lot of times Americans are taught to believe that only experts know these things. Um, and that's very tough on them because I think you you have to make a tough decision and nobody can really tell you for sure, is it absolutely the right decision or not? Um, you, you have to just trust your judgment and be willing to move on. And that's, I think, a very tough thing for people to do. Yeah, I, I do believe so. And don't you think it's uh, also human nature for us to second guess and to doubt ourselves? I do think it is. I think it's especially so when you're making these decisions that are just so complex. They're just such a, a morass. You have so many different ways of, of making decisions and, and looking at them and, and deciding on them. So I, I think it's a very tough decision for people to make. Yeah, and I think just being there and, and uh, helping them through that transition, honoring them, and then honoring them afterwards. You know, we touched upon a few things. You know, I always recommend people that to put together a scrapbook. Put together some sort of a scrapbook with your favorite pictures and favorite clippings and things for your animal and have it there as sort of a, I guess a shrine would be one way of putting it, but sort of a memory uh, place to go back to and, and to remember all the great things that your animal brought you alive. I think that's a great point because there, we have a lot of tools now that we didn't used to have. Um, we have the internet. We have digital photography. We have photo albums, blogs, web pages. All, all kinds of, of, of things we can do to remember animals and not lose them. One of the things I say in the book is that you don't have to see them as, as leaving. We have all kinds of things we can do to recall them. Um, and I think, that unfortunately, those things require some preparation. You have to think about it in advance. You know, it, I think it's a great thing to do when somebody gets a pet to talk to a vet and sit down and say, okay, how are we going to deal with the end of life? And to talk to their family, how much money do we really want to spend? And also to begin planning some of these ritualistic things that you're mentioning. You know, to put together a, a really thorough album on the life of a pet is a wonderful thing to do when you lose them because you can go back and look at their stages of life. 
So I, I think that those tools are, are wonderful. The rituals are wonderful. The altars are wonderful. Uh, helping a family put together albums. I think uh, uh, some people do living blogs where they just basically write blogs about the life of a dog or, or a pet or other animal. All of those things say we, we love this creature. We really care about it. We're going to remember it. And you don't have to feel this total sense of loss when they just vanish. So I think it's very important, the idea of, of bringing these tools into, into the process. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and really, uh, when we think of the word pet, we think of you know, our, our domestic animals, our dogs and our cats. But you living uh, on a farm, a bedlam farm, I'm sure you've experienced situations where your other animals, have, uh, you've had to help them out in this situation. I have had to put a donkey down and some sheep and even some lambs uh, who got sick. You know, there's no such thing as a no-kill farm, farmers like to say. Mm-hmm. And if you have a farm, you're going to experience this kind of loss. And a farm teaches you that if you're going to live with animals, you're going to have to deal with loss because you, you just can't do it otherwise. I think it's interesting that when people get companion animals, I think they ward off the whole idea of loss. And suddenly they find themselves up to their neck in it in a vet's office having to make a lot of tough decisions. One of the things that came up again and again researching the book was people who just got into financial trouble because they began to equate the love of an animal with money. Well, you know, I, have to, I can't say no. If, if I need a surgery, I love them so much, I'm going to do it. Uh, you can run into a lot of money very quickly that way, and if you haven't thought about it, um, it can cause a lot of trouble for, for people. So I think throughout the process, you know, I'm sure you can hear the same theme. I kept seeing the need to be anticipate this. You know, I knew nobody wants to think about it, of course, you know, when they have an animal they love. But the more you do think about it and the more you prepare yourself and your family, the more you talk to your vet about it, uh, the, the smoother, the easier, and the less painful the process is going to be. Yeah, I think those are very valid points for sure. Uh, we're going to come to a commercial break here in a second, but I want to come back uh, to you, John, talk a little bit more about the book and some of your uh, other writing as well. So everybody stay tight. We're going to continue our conversation with John Katz uh, right after these messages. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetLifeRadio.com slash PetSmart and save up to 30% on toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetLifeRadio.com slash PetSmart today. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash Lucky, L-U-C-K-Y, to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. 
I don't make any decisions about who to hire without going to Angie's List first. You'll find reviews on home repair to health care written by people just like you. With Angie's List, I know who to call and I know the results will be fantastic. Angie's List, who you can trust. Go to Angie'sList.com forward slash rights and get 25% off any subscription. That's Angie'sList.com forward slash rights, W-R-I-T-E-S. When you're looking to add a pet into your life, consider adopting a homeless animal from your local shelter or rescue group. Whether you want a kitten, puppy, or a more mature pet, a purebred or a -a one-of-a-kind mixed breed, even a rabbit or hamster, your shelter has the best selection of animals anywhere, all screened for good health and behavior. PetLifeRadio.com presents Take Me Home with your host, Susan Daffron. Join us each week as we showcase wonderful pets, tell stories, and even throw some pet education into the mix. So get ready to find out why the pet adoption option can be a great way to add a furry companion into your life. Take me home every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link. And we're here with uh, author uh, John Katz uh, talking about his latest book, Going Home, Finding Peace When Pets Die. John, I'm sure uh, doing the research, you uncovered a lot of different things, uh, perhaps things you didn't know about uh, this particular topic. But is there a particular thing that uh, you learned about writing the book that really stands out? Probably the single most uh, powerful realization was how important animals are coming to be in the emotional lives of Americans. I think animals have moved in the last 20 or 30 years from the periphery of life right into the center of our lives. And this is very different. This is unique to America. And it's also a relatively new thing. People used to have dogs. They didn't have human names. They didn't go to the vet. They didn't even have dog food until 1960. So dogs just kind of came and went. They weren't on leashes. They kind of ran loose. Uh, they weren't spayed or neutered. And you didn't spend a lot of money on them. Now, uh, animal health care alone is a $30 billion industry in America. And, and we give them expensive foods, and we sleep with them, and give them names and see them as childlike. So this, of course really fuels and intensifies grieving. I also think the country has become a little more stressed out. You know, the politics is, is divisive. You know, technology and religion are changing. Lives are changing. The economy is stressful. Work is insecure. So people look more and more to some unconditional love and support. And they find that from animals who are unconditionally loving, are very constant. They're not judgmental. They don't leave. Um, and that, that has made them, I think, increasingly important to people. Because I think in our culture, we don't often do a great job of connecting with one another. Um, And we do uh, connect more and more powerfully with animals. So I think that's really affecting the way we grieve. Because the the meaning of animals to us and our families has has grown tremendously and continues to grow. I mean, there were 15 million owned dogs in the United States in 1960, and there are 77 million now. So Americans are having a very intense relationship with, with these species, cats too, and horses and other other kinds of animals and they're not just they're not pets anymore you know there's something more than that they're members of our family they're our soulmates our companions their emotional connections for us so when you feel that way about something losing it is is definitely taking on very similar proportions to to people i've had many many people researching the book told me 
that they they suffered more losing a dog than they did with a parent. And it wasn't because they didn't love their parents. It was because the relationship with the animal was so pure and so dependable uh, that it was devastating to lose it. The dog or the cat doesn't judge you about what you're doing or where you live or what kind of car you drive. And, uh, and you're spending 24 hours a day with it in a lot of cases. Well, that's right. And human relationships are complex. You know, uh, kids leave and we have fights with them and we have disagreements. Dogs are right there. You know, they're happy to see us every single time. They weave themselves into our lives. They never hurt us. And as you said, they, they don't care what we look like. They don't care what we smell like. These are all important things in a culture where we're feeling judged quite a bit. Yeah. So I think it's another one of those things that is ratcheting up the, the nature and content of grief. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned a lot about uh, the American culture and doing your studies. Did you have an opportunity to take a look at other cultures in other countries and, and compare the two? Well, I did. There are, there's really no other country. I mean, England would probably be the closest, but even in England, uh, they don't spend this kind of money. And, they, and in general, across the population, animals don't have quite this place. And there is not this kind of grieving. Uh, I know it happens sometimes, I don't mean never, but, and, and it's something to do with affluence as well, you know, that it has money to have pets, and some cultures don't have the money. There are cultures where they eat dogs in the world. So it's a, but I think the, the unique thing to America, apart from the fact that we can afford it, has been that it, the rest of our culture has been so, in so much in flux that, that, this, that these animals have become a very fixed point for us. And I think other cultures, you know, are not, and not quite in that same position as we are in so much transition as American culture seems to be. That's a very good point. And I think it is that way. You know, you know looking at uh, dealing with clients across the, the world, they all you know, have love and affection for their animals, their pets. But it is a different type of society. It is a different type of culture. Yeah, I was giving a talk to some, some high school kids. Some of them came from Somalia, and they were telling me that they eat dogs there. They hunt them. And they mm. couldn't believe that Americans have left them in their houses and feed them. And that took me back a bit. <laughs> uh, so I think yeah. affluence, but affluence is part of that but you know it comes up all the time we are a stressful culture right now Americans are really pressed and they're, uh, they're anxious and you know things in our lives that used to ground us you know religion technology politics are disturbing it's hard to listen to the news it's hard to pay attention to politics so people are angry and there's a sense of, of anger and change in the air that's distressing and it's interesting that we're a culture that increasingly is spending an enormous amount of money rescuing, caring for animals, but we're increasingly not wanting to spend this kind of money on people. So the idea, you know, there's 150,000 Americans in the rescue culture, and there's no rescue culture for people. So I think it's very interesting, you know, I'm not speaking politically, I think it's just very interesting that the one thing has become so acceptable, and the other has almost become heresy. And I think it's not, they're not really disconnected. I think we're we need to nurture, we need to love, we need to rescue, and, and, and it's hard to do that with people, but it's relatively easy to do it with animals, so we're, we're doing it in tremendous numbers. That's amazing. That's very interesting. I would, would have never thought that, but I think when you look at the culture, I think you're absolutely right. We're fortunate in the fact that rescue organizations of all sorts for animals is uh, coming more and more to the forefront, which we're all thankful for, but uh, there's still a lot of people in need out there as well. It's also interesting. I mean, I think the rescue thing also raises us. It's a very noble, worthwhile thing to do, and I do it. But I'm also aware that it's, you know, it's also Americans have this idea, they think, that they can create perfect lives for animals. You know, no-kill shelters, lives without suffering, and you can't really do it. I mean, the natural world is the natural world, and with animals come loss. So I think these questions of all around the animal culture, when you rescue an animal, quite different than adopting an animal or just getting an animal. 
this idea of rescue is also very new. You know, 25 years ago, people didn't rescue animals, they just got them. When you rescue something and you lose it, that's another emotional charge. When you've rescued something and you see yourself as having saved its life, losing it takes on a whole other cast. So it's yet another thing that makes grieving, I think, a little more intense for people and complicated. Yeah, good points. I mean, it's really fascinating that doing the research and, and writing the book that you did, um, you know, it really puts a totally different perspective on it out there. And I think it really gets people to think about the uh, the hard issues and what's really going on in this in the world. Well, I think that's why grieving is such an important subject. I think really when you're talking about it, of course, you're really talking about people. And for a writer, animals are way into the lives of people. I see animals as mirrors of our society. And if you want to look about our culture or people's feelings about it, and you look at how we treat animals and how we feel about them, and it's, it's so interesting to me to see people grappling, usually alone, with these very, very complex questions of life and death with no guidelines at all and deepening and deepening and deepening. And yet if you look at the other side of the spectrum, the whole civic life is increasingly harsh and combative. So I no wonder why I think we want to do this for animals, because I think we just can't do it for ourselves. I think that's a big factor. But I also think that we're just becoming to become aware of, of how painful this loss is for people. I was speaking in Ohio at the Ohio State University Veterinary School, and they're starting the first pet loss class, where they're actually teaching vets now to, to be prepared for this emotional travail and, and to learn more about it and anticipate it. This is a new discipline of veterinary social work where social workers are being trained to go into veterinary practices and to help people deal with these enormous issues of, of finances and emotional loss and grieving and guilt that are really epidemic in, in this culture. So I thought the book is really important uh, because there just was nothing done out. There's nothing like it. There's no other book like it. So I think that was really what drove me to do it. And I, I, I think it's interesting, too, that I, I looked when I started doing the book there were maybe a hundred books about loss of pets, and every one of them had to do with the afterlife. Animals as angels, animals in heaven. I thought that's really interesting because I don't know how you deal with the afterlife if you haven't dealt with, with the here and now. You're not going to grieve, it seems to me, appropriately if you think you're going to see the animal, you know, next time out. So I don't know whether they're, I'm not saying they're not going to heaven, I don't know. But I think it's interesting that that makes it very tough on people, I think, because they're they have no way of dealing with what they have to face right now. Yeah, and I think it is one of those things where you know animals, whether they they mask their conditions whenever they're they're sick or injured, or whether it's just their nature, or maybe it's the short time we have to live with them in our lives. But we do get sort of unprepared. It sneaks up on us really, really quick. Where perhaps uh, with um, you know our family and our human relationships, often we have a lot more time to sort of deal and I, I guess prep with it ahead of time. We do, and, and not only that, but we're guided by so many traditions and rituals. You know, we can call in a member of the clergy. There's all kinds of procedures you have to follow with funerals and wakes, and every religion and culture has its own way of marking a life and a loss. Uh, with, with an animal, this is all really just up to us. And so it's small wonder why people don't know if they're doing the right thing. They don't know what the norm is. I found also that, you know, vets are very reluctant to talk about this uh, because they weren't trained for it. And because people often get very upset when a vet says, you know, it's time to think about euthanasia, uh, they, they don't want to think about it. And, um, and sometimes they get angry about it. So vets generally told me that they don't raise it, that if people don't bring it up, they don't bring it up. This is really unfortunate because who's going to bring it up if the vets don't? And, and if people are so uncomfortable talking about it, how are they going to get prepared for it? To me, it's one of the biggest things that I think really needs to change is that, you know, we just need to be talking about it. Not all the time and not morbidly. 
but I think it would be great if a vet came to a new member of the practice and they said, look, let's just take five minutes and this is how I, how I feel about, you know, loss and this is how I deal with it and this is, you know, how much money do you have and how much money do you want to spend and, you know, this is how I feel about euthanasia so people start thinking about it. I think that's going to happen. I think that's going to begin happening. Yeah, and I think it's a very, very positive step forward. I love the uh, steps that Ohio State University is making in that area, and hopefully others will follow. Because you're right, you know, veterinarians, just like a lot of doctors, they deal with the facts, and they present them to you, and they themselves don't often know how to present it and give you your right options in this case. And I think like human doctors, they're also, what they really know how to do is, is to recommend procedures and medications rather than deal with the emotional stuff. I think this is a problem with with human doctors, too, that a lot of people talk about. And so that, I think, is one reason why people are often so confused about it. So I think that will change when people start asking them to do it. Um, I think that's really beginning to happen. People are saying to us, you know, I need to talk about this. And with some more training, I think that will be more helpful to them. Yeah, I think it's a good step forward. Now, before I let you go, I, I want to ask you about just animals in general and, and uh, how they've taken a part of your life. You know, you've, you've written 20 books, uh, a lot of great memoirs out there, and they all seem to include uh, an animal that has touched your life or been in your life. How did that deep affection for uh, animals present itself, and, and how does that continue in your life? It's been a huge factor in my life. It was slow to develop. I didn't really, uh, really write about it until I was almost in my 30s. I've always had dogs and other animals, but when I became a writer, I just was fascinated by what I saw as the relationship people had with the animals, how, how powerful and important it was, and how little literature there was about it. There were a lot of Disney kind of stories about animals and, and hero stories, but I, I think I began to see in my own life animals were inspiring me to change, to be a writer. I think animals make me a better person. They make me more patient. Every animal I've had has taught me something about myself that I didn't know. So it just continuously, each one of them has opened me up. And as a writer, that's a great gift because it was a great idea for me to come to the farm where I could actually live with animals and observe them and experience them and write about it from a very interesting perspective. So I think I was fortunate. I think I, you know, I, I caught the wave without even meaning to. I think as people turned more and more to animals for connection, I was living with them and was able to, to write about them. So it's a wonderful experience, and I'm very grateful to them. Absolutely. We've done a great job with uh, all the books that you put together, and this one uh, definitely is a uh, going to be a helpful one for everyone to have, uh, Going Home, uh, Finding Peace When Pets Die. John, how can uh, our listeners find out more about you and find out more about the book, uh, Going Home? Well, thank you. It's a great, great, great interview. Uh, they can go to my website, www.bedlamfarm.com. So everybody go to bedlamfarm.com. Find out more about John, his other books that he's written, and obviously pick up a copy of Going Home. It's available uh, nationwide, everywhere you want to go. They'll have it. Uh, it's a great book to have. Read up on it. Read up on it before you need it so you know what to, what to be prepared for. I think it's a good lesson. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, John, thanks for coming on the show today. We appreciate it very much, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, talking to you again down the road. Thank you again, Tim. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I uh, want to thank everybody for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. also like to thank our sponsors and producers for making this show possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and other guests I've interviewed on my Animal Rights show, you can visit PetLifeRadio.com and uh, download this episode and other episodes that we've had, as well as uh, take a look at the blog. We have all kinds of helpful tips and advice and interesting tidbits on there as well. So click on the Animal Rights tab on Pet Life Radio. That's PetLifeRadio.com. 
And while you're there, uh, be sure to uh, check out all the other great shows and hosts that we have on Pet Life Radio. There's sure to be something that you're interested in. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, you can email me. Email me at tim at petliferadio.com. It's Tim at PetLifeRadio.com, and I'll be glad to answer your questions, uh, entertain your comments, and try to bring on the best writers, authors, and bloggers onto this show, the people you want to hear the most. So email me at Tim at PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, article, or in a book. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Thanks for joining us. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.